Welcome to Redemption's podcast. This is Corey Ball, lead pastor at Redemption Community Church, found in Kirkwood, Missouri, in the greater St. Louis area. Before we dive into the content, I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook to stay current on all things Redemption. You'll find both of these accounts by searching Redemption STL. But more than anything, we hope that this podcast will help inspire and challenge you to take your next steps in following Jesus. If you have any questions about God, Christianity, or redemption, don't hesitate to reach out. You can DM us on our socials or text us at 314-391-4141. And now, without further ado, here is the content you are looking for. Enjoy. Uh, well, we're in this series right now called What's the Difference? And we're looking at different religions and how they compare and contrast uh, with Christianity. We looked at Eastern religions the very first week. We looked at Buddhism and Hinduism. Second week, we looked at Judaism. And then last week, we looked at Islam. This week, we're going to be looking uh, within Christianity. And we're going to be looking at the differences between Catholicism and Protestantism. Now, uh, for me, I grew up in an area that was not super Catholic. Uh, in fact, it was, it was, it was uh, almost completely non-Catholic. It was very Baptist, though. Uh, I grew up in a very rural area of Ohio. And if you know much about you know, Catholicism or the Catholic Church, uh, for the most part, those churches exist kind of in the confines of, of cities or larger communities, not so much in rural communities. Um, and in fact, what's interesting is uh, if you attend a Catholic Mass, yes, they're supposed to be the same everywhere you go, right? That's not necessarily the case. If you attend a Catholic Mass in, you know, a place that's very Catholic, like St. Louis, or, you know, then you attend a Catholic Mass that's going to be out more in the rural areas, more in the country, they actually have a very different flavor. And so, um, you know, really interesting uh, where I came from, it wasn't overly Catholic. Now, if you grew up here in the St. Louis area, you know this, that, that the idea of, of, of the, you know, the Roman Catholic Church and then the Protestants, it, it's, a, it's a big difference. Now, hopefully, my, my, my hope is that it's not a divide, but it is a big difference. No matter what, we know that there are huge differences between Catholicism and Protestantism, and those differences are not insignificant. Uh, they're very significant. They're very different. Now, for us to kind of unpack and to go deep into what those differences are, unfortunately, we have to go a little bit back into history, okay? Now, for some of you, you're like, great, I love history. I can't wait till we go back into history and study some of this stuff. Uh, for others of you, you're like, great, my like least favorite, uh, you know, subject in school. So hopefully, I can be like, you know, the Mrs. Frizz, uh, Frizzle, yeah, Frizzle, uh, Mrs. Frizzle of uh, history, and I can uh, make it a little interesting for you. So, Okay, around 40 AD or so, you had this movement of people that believed in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this was a crazy thing because, um, you know, nobody had, nobody's died and not stayed dead, right? And so Jesus, he, he rises from the grave. And so this man is traveling around, like after he rose from the grave, he spends 40 days traveling around and people see him and all this stuff. And, and, and this is crazy. We're gonna talk about this in two weeks when we're, you know, on Easter. But at the end of the day, they could not keep the resurrection uh, quiet. Like they couldn't silence the resurrection. The truth of the resurrection was out there. People that didn't believe in Jesus were now going, I don't get it, but I saw the guy. He was walking around like the Roman Empire claimed that he was dead, but he's no longer dead. And so all of a sudden there's this movement of Christ followers. And uh, we have to be clear about this. That movement of Christ followers is actually a Jewish movement. It's a movement of Jewish people. They're called Christians. But if you don't know this, the term Christian is a derogatory term in nature. 
It actually originated as this derogatory term that was given by the Jews and the Romans. And so they would call them, oh, the, oh, the Christians. It was this dismissive you know, type of term. And so uh, these Christians uh, were really Jewish. That's what they were. But there were Jewish people who saw the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and they couldn't believe otherwise. Okay, 70 AD, the, the, uh, you know, the Jewish uh, people, they, they fall to the Roman Empire and uh, the, the church is kind of split. The, the, the Jewish people, the, the Christ followers you know, of the Jewish people, they're kind of split. Everything is, is, is split up. And out of that, what happens is uh, through a couple councils, the, these four words emerge to the top. It's like the cream that rises to the top. And those four words, as most of you know, are one holy Catholic apostolic. One holy Catholic apostolic. And so what does that mean? One holy Catholic apostolic. Well, first it means this, that the church that, that, that is, you know, kind of emerging at this time, it's going to be one it, it, it's going to be uh, one church. It's not going to be divided or split, but one um, holy. What does that mean? It means it's going to be set apart. It's going to be different. Catholic. Wait a minute. What does that mean? The, the term Catholic means universal or global, which means this, that, that the church is not just for those who are in uh, the United States and in Missouri and in St. Louis and in Kirkwood, you know. Uh, no, no, no. It, it literally means that, that, that this church is global. It's universal. It, it goes to India. It goes to Africa. In, in fact, it started with places like India and Africa, um, and then it, you know, eventually made its way over to us. If you didn't know this, we're going to talk about this next week, or rather Casey's going to be preaching on this next week, uh, but we're not the originators of the church. I'm not going to ask anybody to, you know, show me your hands, but I do believe that somebody in here goes, wait a minute, the church didn't start in America? Uh, I'm sure somebody, you know, came to that realization today, that's okay, because we're going to talk about that, but yes, like, we didn't start the church. It's actually Asian and, and African and, and European and all these other places before it was ever in the North America. Um, okay, so this is 70 AD, one holy Catholic apostolic. Now, this is a big deal, right? Um, oh, and then and the apostolic, I didn't get there. Okay, apostolic, what does apostolic mean? Apostolic means that the church is devoted to the teachings of the apostles. Specifically, the, uh, the apostles that wrote the rest of the New Testament, that, uh, that they are devoted to those teachings, Okay. All right, so then 312 comes along. 312, there's a guy uh, by, by the name of Constantine, and, and Constantine uh, becomes converted. He, he ends up, um, he's a Roman emperor, and he ends up becoming converted, and, uh, and when he does in 312, it changes everything. All of a sudden, uh, the church is no longer this persecuted, like, like running for your lives uh, type of movement that it had been over the last 300 years under the persecution of the Roman Empire. But instead, what it becomes is a very household name. Uh, Christianity becomes the major influence culturally, socially, politically in the Roman Empire, which, by the way, was literally the ruler of the entire world at this time, right? If you've never studied the Roman Empire, like, Please, I invite you, spend 20 to 30 minutes just on YouTube and just find some historian who's going to teach you about the Roman Empire and its spread and its fall. It is crazy. Uh, if you run a company, you can learn some things uh, from its rise and from its fall. Um, uh, not joking, you know why it fell? Um, ultimately, it fell because it had a QC problem, had a quality control problem. They, uh, they, they couldn't... 
They couldn't instill their vicious, violent ways um, to people without those people being bribed by money and just giving up the Roman Empire. It's what happened. So anyway, um, crazy. Okay, so 312, uh, this happens. Um, it becomes this household name. Okay, now in 410, uh, there's this man by the name of, of, of uh, Al, uh, Alaric, and Alaric ends up uh, taking over the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire is, is essentially, it, it falls to them, and that's when it falls. It's destroyed. Now, when this happens... Um, when this happens, all of a sudden, the church is continually spread. It's, it's more persecuted. It's more spread. It had 100 years of, of doing basically whatever it wanted to, uh, but now it's under uh, strict persecution, and, and we enter into the medieval era. Now, the medieval era is a very long era. Um, it's not 100 years. It's, it's like, you know, it's hundreds and hundreds of years, but we enter into this medieval era, and uh, William Manchester, he wrote this. He said it was a world uh, lit only by fire. Everything fell during this time. There was no cultural or social or political cohesion. Everything was uh, literally in flames. A couple years ago, we were supposed to go on a mission trip to Haiti, and I remember the very night before that, what happened was uh, there was a big, um, you know, a big protest over gas prices, and uh, several people were killed, and all of a sudden, tires were rolled out into the street and set on fire. And I remember seeing these images of this third world country that I had been to several times before and had a heart for and loved. And I was the leader of the trip. And I had to make the really hard call, obviously, to call it off. The streets were burning. Uh, the, there, were, there were tire fires that were 15, 20 feet high. The streets were on fire. This is the medieval era. It's, it's on fire, right? There's nothing there. Well, in that time, what ends up happening is that uh, the, the fathers uh, or the priests, also known as the popes, plural, popes, okay, we're going to get to that, uh, but the fathers, the priests, the popes, they, uh, they, were the, they were the glue. They were the glue that held together society. They were the cultural leaders. They were the social leaders. They were also the political leaders of this time. And they tried to bring this social glue and cohesion to this broken uh, culture. Okay, 1054 uh, comes around, and what happens? The very first split of the church. But wait a minute, we're the one holy, Catholic, apostolic church. What are you talking about? Well, it's split. Oh, you're talking about the Protestant Reformation? No, before the Protestant Reformation. That doesn't happen until the 16th century. But before the Protestant Reformation, what you see is, is the, the one holy, Catholic, apostolic church splits into two churches. And so what you have is you have the East, and then you have the West. You have the East and the West. And uh, basically, the, the East was really upset because the West wanted to elevate one person, now uh, only known as one pope, uh, one person, and that one pope was going to be infallible, was going to be authoritative, was going to speak in such a way that no matter what they said, it was gospel. It was taken to be completely true. And the East was going, wait a minute, that does not like ring true. That, that, that's not the apostolic part, right? Apostolic means we follow the apostolic teachings of the, the apostles as Jesus gave them and are bound in the scriptures. And they were going, no, there's this man now. He's the Pope, and we're going to follow him. So they split. And so you have the East and you have the West. And what ends up happening is the East is known as, now it's known as the Greek Orthodox Church, uh, the Eastern Orthodox or the Greek Orthodox Church, and the West is now known as the Roman Catholic Church. The reason it's known as the Roman Catholic Church is because the biggest Catholic Church at the time was where? Rome, right? That's right, Rome. And so you have the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. Okay, 
1100, um, the, uh, the uh, yeah, that, that was actually the split. Sorry, the, the leaders there split. Okay, 16th century. Um, so 1054 kind of started that, and then 1100, they finally split. 16th century, this is known as the Protestant Reformation. And what happened was this. Within the Western church, within the Roman Catholic church, you had several thought leaders and cultural, uh, you know, leaders and, and professors and, and, and business people and all these different people. And they, they, they come together and they go, wait a minute, there's an issue in the church. And, and, and we're, 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 we're differing big time over these theological points. So what do we do? Well, they started, their goal was to reform. Right? It's the Protestant Reformation, right? It's not, it's not the Protestant split. It's not the Protestant uh, leaving. It's not the Protestant upheaval. It's not the Protestant rebellion. It's known as what? It's known as the Protestant Reformation. They were trying to reform the church. The, the parts of the church that they saw were just running wild. For example, at that time, there was a guy. Um, uh, his name was, um, oh, man, uh, I didn't put this in my sermon, uh, but uh, I'm trying to think of his name. Anyway, um, uh, it'll come to me. But he, he essentially initiated kind of the sale of indulgences. And um, he ended up uh, saying this. He would say, every time a coin in the coffer, C-O-P-F-E-R, coffer, every time, a, every time a coin in the coffer rings, a soul out of purgatory springs. And he would sing this, and he would chant this on the corners. And people would come from miles, and they would just give so much money to the Roman Catholic Church to spring their loved ones out of purgatory. And so this was a big deal. Like, like the other people are going, wait a minute. Like, do we believe in the sale of indulgences? Do we even believe in penance? Do we believe in the veneration of Mary? Do we believe in the infallibility and the authority of one person known as the Pope? Because we're known as one holy Catholic uh, apostolic church. We're not known as one holy Catholic Pope-led church. So, so, what, so what is going on? So they're trying to reform it. Well, they failed miserably. <laughs> they failed. In 1517, uh, they were led by Martin Luther, and he, he ends up, you know, putting the 95 Thesis to the, to the Wittenberg uh, Church in, in, uh, in, in Germany. And um, by 1520, he's excommunicated by the, the church. Um, the, the emperor excommunicates him, the pope excommunicates him, um, and he's out. He's done. And so they fail uh, big time. Um, and there is uh, more and more division. Well, let's look at the Reformation a little deeper. Let's just double click on it. Like, what were the things that they were figuring out? Because this right here starts to, starts to teach us what are the differences between Catholicism and Protestantism. Now, I, I want to say this. Um, as, as I'm going, words matter. And the words I'm saying and the words I'm choosing, they matter. For those of you that are really paying attention here, you, you've, you've noticed probably by this point, I am not saying the Roman Catholic Church in Christianity, right? When, when we talk about this, this falls underneath Christianity. It's the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. Christianity, right? Okay. So, um, so as, as we look at this, what are the differences between the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant Church? Uh, what are the things that they come down to? Again, uh, veneration of Mary, um, the sale of indulgences, um, you know, uh, th th all those different things, uh, purgatory, okay, all these different things. But, but when it really comes down to it, there are two things that they end up kind of hinging their differences on. And it's this, the authority of the Bible 
and the role of grace and faith in regard of salvation. Okay, the authority of the Bible and the role of grace and faith in regards to salvation. And so when we look at um, the authority of the Bible, this is a big deal. The Protestants are saying, uh, what we believe is this. We believe that we are one holy Catholic apostolic church. And what that means, that apostolic point, is this. That, that as, the, as the apostles, as they followed Jesus, Jesus has given them these words. They've written down these words in letters. And this is the life and the teaching of Jesus. And those words have been bound into a scripture um, and, and, and we follow that apostolic teaching. It's not the apostles that had the authority, but it's the words that were given them by Jesus. That's not what the Catholic uh, Church was teaching. It's not what the Roman Catholic Church was teaching. With the Roman Catholic Church, they were going, no, wait a minute, there are these things called popes. Uh, which, by the way, uh, I, I meant to hit this earlier, so let me, let me stop, because I want to clarify. I said we'd get to it, and we, we, we will, because I remembered it, but... Uh, popes. I said popes, plural, right? See, um, right before the, 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 the church split into the west and the east, right before that, what you see is there were multiple popes uh, because anybody who was a leader of a church at a certain level, they were known as a pope. And so there were many popes. The fathers were popes. The priests were popes. The bishops were popes. And then what ended up happening is, is, is the church, the Roman Catholic Church, started saying, no, 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 this is one pope. He's infallible. He's authoritative. And it came along in, 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 the, um, in the medieval era, okay? It didn't exist before then. And I'll, I'll, we're going to show you that it didn't exist before then. Um, but all of a sudden it did. Okay, so again, the Protestants go, hey, teachings of, of the apostles, that's what's the authority. The Roman Catholic Church goes, no, no, no. The apostles, they have the authority, Okay, so uh, this, this, this comes down to one thing in Matthew chapter 16. Now, before we get there, what happens is Jesus, is say, he's talking to his, his disciples, and he asks this question. He goes, who do people say that I am? Like, who do they, like, y'all are out there in the community. Uh, you know, y'all are on the fishing boats. You guys are doing your thing out there. Uh, you're in the market squares. What are the people saying about me? Who do they say that I am? And, uh, and people say, well, some say Elijah, and some say John the Baptist, and some say blah, blah, blah. But who speaks up and gets it right? Peter. Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus, he says, yep, that's right. You got it, Peter. And we see in verse 18, he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the, of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And see the leaders of the Roman Catholic Church, they go, see, case closed. Uh, Peter, he is the leader of the church. Like, he has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He is the rock. And, and, and Jesus himself said, upon Peter, we're going to build the church. Like, he's the pope. And the reformers were going, I don't think so. <laughs> not so fast. That's not how we read it. And so let me show you why uh, the Protestants, why they believed differently, why the reformers believed differently. See, in here... Um, we're going to do a quick, just a real quick word study. Jesus, he starts by calling him Simon, 
Okay, that's his original name, Simon. But then Jesus gives him his nickname when his nickname is Peter. Um, when you look at Peter in the Greek, it's actually Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S. And that means little rock. And so Jesus is literally saying, uh, hey, Petros, hey, little rock, right? Okay, and then uh, right after that, he says, and on this rock, I will build my church. But when he says it the second time, he doesn't say Petros, he says Petra. And we're not talking about the 80s Christian rock band, uh, if, you're, if you're aware. Uh, half of you were like, there, were, there was Christian rock in the 80s? Yeah, and it wasn't great, but it was okay. It was good. Uh, but anyway, Petra. For some of you, that's anathema. You're like, no, it was, it was awesome. What are you talking about? That was my jam. Okay, so, uh, so Petros, uh, Peter, right, nickname. And then upon this Petra, but what's the Petra? What's the big rock? The big rock is exactly what Peter claimed. It was the truth that he claimed that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter, little rock, upon the big rock of what you just said, my kingdom will be built, that I am the Messiah. I am the son of the living God. And one day I'm going to be killed, crucified, but it's okay because three days later I'm going to resurrect from the grave. And that's what we're getting ready to celebrate uh, on Easter in two weeks, okay? So this is a big difference. Uh, and then the role of grace and faith uh, as it pertains to salvation. Uh, what does this mean? Well, um, you know, the, um, oh, hold on. Before we even get there, let me, let me back up just real quick. Um, so the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church, they differ on where the authority rests. The Protestants believe that the authority rests on the teachings of the apostles, the Catholic Church believes that the authority rests on the apostles, and now specifically on Peter, which they would say is there, there's an unbroken line. They would say there's an unbroken line from Peter all the way through to, um, to the later uh, popes, to the popes that we have today. Okay, this, uh, this isn't, is an issue. Um, it's an issue. The reason it is an issue is because when we look at, and, and listen, this is one of the most important parts of this message because we really have to get this. When, when you look at Peter in the early church, he didn't have authority. He, he actually was underneath the authority of the Jerusalem church, led by who? Led by James, Jesus' half-brother, who was also an apostle. So James has authority over Peter, but wait a minute. If Peter's the pope, Right? And again, that belief came up in the, in, in the medieval century uh, or, or, or the medieval era. If, if, uh, if Peter is the Pope, then why does, does anyone else, anyone, why does anyone else have authority over Peter? It doesn't, doesn't make sense. Okay, now, uh, what about the infallibility? Just after this, Paul, Paul ends up correcting Peter's theology several times in a very public manner. But wait a minute. If Peter is the Pope, he's authority, right? He's the authority. He's authoritative. He is infallible. If that's true, why does anybody have authority over Peter? And why can, or how can anybody claim that his theology was wrong and they're correcting his theology? if he's infallible. And the reality is that the evidence just doesn't support it. It just doesn't. It doesn't support it. Um, 
And so there's a big difference. See, when you look at Matthew 16, regardless of what Jesus says about Peter, uh, he says nothing about succession in there. He doesn't mention anything about anybody succeeding Peter with the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the question is, what does it mean when he says that I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven? What does that mean? Um, It's a good question. Glad you asked. Uh, The keys to the kingdom of heaven, uh, we believe, is that later on you see in the book of Acts that Peter is the one who takes the gospel beyond the Jewish borders of people, and he takes it to the Gentiles, right? And what does that say? It says that the gospel is for you. It's for me. I'm not Jewish in nature. I'm not Jewish in descent. Like, I'm a Gentile. I'm, I'm, I'm not a purebred Jewish person. No, no, no. That's not who I am. And for most of you, that's not who you are either. And see, the New Testament is the story of God's relentless pursuit, his relentless love for you. And Peter was the one that took the keys to the kingdom of heaven to the Gentiles to tell them about the the possibility of eternal life through God the Father if they only believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus the Son. And that's the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And so uh, that's what the Reformers believed. The Roman Catholic Church, they disagreed. Um, and when it comes down to this authority, uh, there was this Latin phrase that emerged at this time, and, and, and the Latin phrase was solo scriptura. And solo scriptura meant by scripture alone. Not by a pope, not by the authority of, of the apostles, but by what the apostles taught in scripture. Sola scriptura, by, by scripture alone. For the reformers, there was no better passage uh, than the one found here in, in Timothy um, that, that kind of... Uh, encapsulates this idea. This is chapter 3, verses uh, 14 through 17. It says, But you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. Uh, You know they are true, for, for you know that you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and it teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing that God wants us to do. So the reformers, um, they, uh, they thought that any idea, any belief, any doctrine, any tradition, any teaching that was not based on scripture was not binding. Okay, so then faith and grace. This is where we see a lot of today's um, difference or struggle. For those of you that have grown up in the Catholic uh, Church, um, we'll talk about this in a second, but I I think you find a little more, uh, it's different here, right? But I think you might find a little more freedom too. Uh, When it comes to faith and grace, the role of faith and grace in the church, the difference is this, the Roman Catholic Church believed this. They believed that a grace just wasn't given. It had to be appropriated. I don't want to say earned, but it had to be, um, it had to be uh, shown in, in various contexts. It had to be shown in rituals done within the church. It had to be performed in certain ways. Um, it had to be uh, not just received, not just believed and received, but that's what the reformers believed. The, the reformers said, hey, when it comes to the grace of Jesus, you have to believe in his grace, his love and his grace, his death on the cross. You have to believe it and you have to receive it. And the Catholic Church was like, yeah, but uh, you're going to have to do these other things too, these rituals and these confirmations, these, all these different things. 
And there was a real split here. And this wasn't a current split. This wasn't something that happened last year. This wasn't something that happened 100 years ago. This was something that happened in, in the 1400s, the 1300s, the 1500s, 1600s. And so what it comes down to is, is, is the question of, of what, what does faith and grace, what role does it play in the life of those who want to follow Jesus, who want to believe in Jesus? Um, I think this passage here in the book of Romans, we're going to read it in, in, in the message uh, because it just, it just brings such a good clarity. But um, this passage in, in Romans chapter 3 kind of brings us to life. This is what Paul says to the church in Rome. He says, since we've compiled, since we, and by the way, these are believers. These are Christ's followers. He says, since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners. Let me just stop here. Like, do you guys ever feel that? That like, I mean, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, you're like, hey, mark me up there, dude. Long and sorry record of sin. My, my life, sometimes I look over and I go, man, I want to be, be different. I want to be more like Jesus. And as I try to be more like Jesus, I end up just falling in the mud. And so Paul, he says, since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, and we've proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives that God wills for us. God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in the right standing with himself. A pure what? Gift. A pure gift. See, we say this at, 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 at Redemption. We say that at the end of the day, uh, the gospel, the gospel is not something that you achieve, right? It's not something that, that you go after. It's not something, you know, it's not a game that you have to play, that you have to have a higher score than the next person. That's not what it is. It's not a game, but it's a gift that some people receive, right? Um, and so at the end of the day, here we see it again. It's a gift. Paul says he got us out of the mess that we're in. He restored us to where he always wanted us to be, and he did it by the means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world, of the world, to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. What do you need to be saved? What do you need to have eternal life in heaven? What do you need to follow Jesus? You believe in him. And scripture says that sets you in the clear. God does not respond to what we do, but we respond to what God does. Well, Catholics, uh, they, they, they looked at uh, they looked at faith and grace and they said, well, it has to be not earned but appropriated through all these things. Uh, those have to be shown first before faith is actualized in, in a person. The Protestants, the Reformers, the Protestants, they were saying, no, 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 that's not true. Because we are saved, we will blank. Because we're saved, we will give to our neighbors and love them deeply. Because we are saved, we will be moral people. Because we are saved, we will be a part of a church. Because we're saved, we will give to the work of ministry in that church and in the community. Because we are saved, we will blank. And the Catholic Church was going, no, no, no. You'll do these things and we'll see your salvation become actualized. We'll see your salvation, your grace, and your faith become real. And so the question is this. Is it Jesus plus nothing, or is it Jesus plus something? And this is what the difference between the Catholic Church and the Protestants at that time fell to. 
Is it Jesus plus nothing, or is it Jesus plus something? Was salvation Jesus plus nothing else, or was it Jesus plus works, performances, rituals, and all these other things done within the Catholic Church? So, what can Protestants learn from Catholics, and what can Catholics learn from Protestants? Real quick, Protestants, uh, we can learn from Catholics two things, the sacraments and the global nature and responsibility of the church. The sacraments are the primary way that the Catholics, that they encounter God. And we, in the Protestant church, collectively, um, have forgotten that. We've missed it. We've, we've, we've lost it in so many ways. That's why at Redemption, uh, we're going to get to this in a minute, but every single week we do what? We take communion together. Because as the sacrament, right, of communion, uh, Jesus connects it so clearly to our worship of him. Um, but a lot of Protestant churches, they don't do that. It, they could go, you know, once a year. They could go uh, once a quarter. Uh, by the way, the question, why do we do it at Redemption every week? Um, because uh, Jesus, he says, as often as you meet, do this in remembrance of me. And so as we meet, we're going to do it. That's just a part of theology, okay? Um, all right, global nature and responsibility of the church, the, the Catholic church, if you, if you don't understand this, there is this incredible unity within the Catholic church. Um, uh, they're the most uh, unified expression of the Christian church. They really are. And, um, and so they work in a different way on a different plane, and they are unified in so many ways that we are disunified. We can learn from them, okay? We can learn uh, how to be global, how to be one, um, and we can, we can learn that. What can Catholics learn from the Protestants? Number one, salvation is Jesus plus nothing. Number two, the Bible is the ultimate authority. Number three, our relationship with Christ is personal. Um, if, if I could sit down with you, if you grew up in the Catholic Church and you're checking out Protestantism, and I know this, uh, you know, it's really interesting. Our very, our very first Sunday, our, our launch Sunday, I, I spoke to this woman, and I said to her, I said, hey, um, I'm so glad you're here. I don't yet know you. Today's our first Sunday. And she goes, I know. And I said, my name's Corey. Nice to meet you. And she goes, nice to meet you. And she was looking over her shoulder the whole time. This is not a joke. It's a true story. She's looking over her shoulder the whole, the whole time. And, uh, and I said, hey, is, is, everything, is everything okay? You know, I thought maybe she had, like, you know, another person at her party, and she was kind of waiting for them. Is everything all right? Well, you know, here's the thing. Um, today's my first day not in the Catholic Church. And um, I just kind of feel weird. And I said, okay. And she goes, I actually kind of feel guilty. And uh, I said, well, you don't feel guilty here. <laughs> and I said, I'm so glad that you're here. Please don't feel guilty. But she had this serious guilt or fear. And I know this. I know that for many of you that grew up in the Catholic Church, uh, for those that are here, those that are joining us online, the reality is that you have this weird mixture, this cocktail of fear and guilt in your life when it comes to uh, going outside of the Catholic Church. Um, just so you know, that's not the teaching of the Catholic Church. It's not. In fact, um, a couple years ago, they actually said that the expression of church, the, the, they released a statement saying that they believe that their expression of church is to be chosen. It's the best, however, that Jesus has experienced in other expressions of church. Um, so while they do believe that their church would be the best expression, they're okay with you being here. And so, um, but if I could sit down with, with Catholic people, I would say this, that at the end of the day, you don't have to perform for your salvation. You don't, have to, you don't have to do rituals. You will do those things because you have a life encounter with Jesus that changes everything. But you won't do those things in order to earn your salvation. Last week, we talked about this with Islam, but we still have some books left over. 
on the way out, you'll see this on, on the table. There's a book called um, How Good is Good Enough? And this is a question that often, not everybody, but often people within the Catholic Church, uh, like those from Islam, they also experience this. I have to be good in order to earn my favor with God. And that's just not true. The Bible is the ultimate authority. Again, uh, we, we talked about that. But at the end of the day, that you can have a actual, you can have an actual encounter with the, uh, the power and the authority in a personal way through Scripture, not just through a pope or not just through a bishop, but through Scripture that you have in your house. And the third thing, our relationship with Christ is personal. It is personal. One of the great dangers or emphasis within the Roman Catholic Church is that people will confuse dogma with devotion, They'll confuse works with worship. They'll confuse sacraments with sincerity. And they'll confuse church with Christ. You don't have to come to the building uh, or the gathering of people to experience Christ. It's one of the ways that you experience Christ in a different way and you need that in your life. But you can also have a personal relationship with Jesus. And this is the teaching of the Protestant church. So at the end of the day, um, my point is this. If you are a Protestant, and if you attend redemption, uh, then you are most likely a Protestant, or you're, um, you know, a Catholic checking us out, or you're, you know, from some other religion, but you're checking us out. But if you would call redemption home, then you are calling uh, home a Protestant church, there in which you are Protestant. I am a Protestant. Um, if, if you are here, and you're thinking, the Roman Catholic Church, they're not Christian. You're thinking wrongly. See, the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant Church, we all agree to this. We agree to the Athanasian Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the very basic teachings of what it means to be a Christian, we agree on. We agree that salvation is truly, in the end, it's only through the power of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's it, right? Now, the, the, the way that we kind of work around those things are a little different. But Catholics are Christian and Protestants are Christian. At the end of the day, what is important is this, that you choose a church, that you choose either the Catholic side or the Protestant side. And within the expression of that, you choose a local expression of that church. And so if you're on the Protestant side, decide where you fit when it comes to theology, find a local expression of that and stick to it. Be in that church, give to that church, serve that church, defend her, market her, tell others in the community about her, fight for her, be with her. And here's the reality. The reality is that some of you, you're like, hey, I'm just gonna try it on for a season. Don't do that. Dig your roots in deep. Raise your children at a church. Give it everything you have. And, and, and here, my last thing, I'll say this. It may mean that some of you, you have to leave redemption. It may mean that this is not the church for you. It may also mean that, uh, you know, you go to a Catholic expression of the church or you go to a Baptist expression or a Lutheran expression and it's not redemption. But no matter what, you choose a church. And if you ever wondered, what does redemption stand on? We stand on this. Protestants and the Reformers have been standing on as their mantra for years, sola scriptura, that the authority of everything comes straight from the apostles' teaching, not the apostles themselves, and that we 
find faith in grace through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, and it's a free gift that we get to receive. That's what we believe. It's Jesus plus nothing. 